0: The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. These words come from author Stephen Covey. Though this is not a Bible verse, this phrase expresses common sense, doesn't it? It's a phrase about priorities. It stresses keeping the most important things front and center in our lives. Now, as we step back into a new school year and a new season in life, As truly unlike any other season, we too would be helped to evaluate our priorities right now. Because in the life of every local church and in the life of every individual Christian, we are always in danger of drifting from the main thing. And what is the main thing for church communities and for individual Christians? We can answer this uh, this question many ways. But as our text this morning highlights, the main thing for Christians is to maintain fellowship with God. To put it another way, it's it's to commune with God. It's to keep a vital living relationship with the living God. Or as the bulletin puts it, it's to worship God. To quote Jesus, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. The main thing churches and Christians need to be nurturing is a heart that loves the true three-person God of Scripture. All the activities and endeavors of the church and of Christian people must spring out of this love relationship with God. Or else, we'll simply be going through the motions. This fellowship with God is what happens to us and in us when the objective truth of Scripture meets the subjective truth in our experience by faith. This is experiencing Christianity. As John Murray states, The life of faith is one of living union and communion with the exalted and ever-present Redeemer. The life of true faith cannot be that of cold, metallic ascent. Oh, I like that. It must have the passion and warmth of love and communion because communion with God is the crown and apex of true religion. Communion with God, fellowship with God, maintaining a relationship with God is what happens when I believe and experience Christianity in the heart. As Gerald Bray says, at the heart of Christian theology, there lies a personal relationship with God, right? We've heard that before. Like all personal relationships, it is based on a degree of knowledge undergirded by trust. Our faith in God is not just a philosophical belief in a supreme being, it's a life-changing experience of the one who has made us what we are. If there ever was a test to discern whether or not you are a genuine Christian, it is this. Do you enjoy fellowship with God? Is your relationship with him real, living, and experienced? Do you love him from the heart? Christian men and women are to be people preoccupied with a love relationship with the true God. But how do we keep this communion, this fellowship with God going on in our lives when we're going into a new school year or when we're busy or when we have kids? Let me allow John Owen to answer this for you. He was a brilliant Bible scholar from another generation, and he wrote a classic book on this topic called Communion with God. It has a longer title, but I won't share that with you. Basically, it's Communion with God. But in that book, he answers this common question. How will I hold communion with God? How will I maintain fellowship with God throughout the day? And his answer is quite striking. He goes to 1 John chapter 4 where it says God is love, right? What the pulpit says right here. God is love. He goes there and he says in order to hold communion with God, we need to take hold of that truth that the God of the Bible is a father of love. Listen to what he says. This is what I would provoke the saints of God to. Do you want fellowship with God? Here, Owen's recommendation for you. This is what I would provoke the saints of God to. They need to believe this love of God for themselves. They must believe that such is the heart of the Father towards them and accept his witness to that fact. The sweetness of his love is not ours until we receive it this way continually and actively think of God with faith as loving you, as embracing you with the eternal free love described before. When the Lord is presented as such to you by his word, let your mind know it and assent to it. Let your will embrace it as being true and let all your emotions be filled with it. Set your whole heart to it. Bind it with the cords of this love. Let the Father's love have its proper fruit and effect on your heart by returning that love to Him. This is how we will walk in the light of God's countenance and hold holy communion with Him all day long. You see what he's saying? If you want to enjoy fellowship with God, You have to fight against your suspicious thoughts of God the Father. God is love. And in that text of 1 John chapter 4, it's referring to the Father who sent his son. And this is a battle, friends. You know it and I know it. It's a battle that is waging deep down in all of our hearts because we have all been tripped by the devil to question the sincerity of God the Father's love for us. So this morning, let your heart receive the sweetness of his love as scripture presents it to you. I want to start right now, right out of the gate, by inviting every one of you to embrace the Heavenly Father's love for you. How will we do that? Take this in by faith as I read these words. The Heavenly Father's love for you from 1 John chapter 4 verses 8 through 10. It says this, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God is love. His love is received by faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, as Scripture presents Him. And when we receive His love, we experience fellowship with God. Through this, uh, sorry, though this is simple, basic stuff, don't let its simplicity lead you astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. This, friends, is the main thing. This morning we're going to look at 1 John, and the main theme of this letter is, of course, the main thing, fellowship with God. The Apostle John is writing to assure a group of Christians who believed in Christ that they have eternal life. And that assurance comes through their experience of fellowship with God. These churches were vulnerable because there were false teachers trying to discredit the message of Christianity. But John wrote to impress upon these fellow believers that they were genuine believers and that they had fellowship with God. So please take up a Bible, open up your phone, open up your tablet, meet me in John, uh, 1 John chapter 1, and we're going to go from the beginning of that chapter all the way to chapter 2, verse 2. Today we're going to see how genuine Christians experience fellowship with God. Now before we dig into this text, let's take a moment to pray for God's spirit, presence, and help. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that your scripture offers us hope in the darkness, offers us light in the darkness, and offers us a personal relationship with you through Christ. Help our unbelief, Lord. We believe, but help our unbelief as we come to your word, as we come to hear from you. Build us up, Lord, we pray. May we be strengthened, and may we experience fellowship with God this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing we see in this passage is that genuine Christians experience fellowship with God through Christian preaching. Look at verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The Apostle John is writing, he was one of the 12 disciples, he is writing these words to churches and he's writing as an eyewitness to the life, words, and works of Jesus Christ. He speaks of Christ as one who he knew personally. He had heard Jesus speak in his own ears. He had seen him with his own eyes and he had touched him with his own hands. And he's testifying to them and to us, speaking of Christ, that he is the life, that he is the word of life, and that he is the eternal life, which was with the Father. For John... Maintaining personal contact with God comes through Christian preaching, believe it or not. And true Christian preaching keeps Jesus Christ front and center as the life, the word of life, and eternal life. Eternal life is found in him and in no other. Jesus prayed... That beautiful prayer in John 17. And you might recall that he defines eternal life for us there. And he says it's this. It's to know God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That word know is not just referring to a cognitive uh, agreement and acceptance of facts. It's the word knowledge, gnosko, an experiential relationship. It's a personal relationship with God. There is no Christian life, nor eternal life, outside of Christ. The gospel message from the beginning of the church hasn't changed. Christian preaching has, throughout the centuries and throughout the world, taken many different languages and forms and styles, but you will always be able to tell what Christian preaching is by whether or not Jesus Christ is the main thing. And it is through the preaching of Christ that we, we, that we can know, experience, and fellowship with God personally. Because where God's word is, he is present. In fact, Martin Lloyd-Jones said that the preacher's main task is actually to give people a sense of God. Listen to what he says in his book, Preaching and Preachers. It's a classic. But he says this, kind of startling. What is the chief end of preaching? I like to think it is this. It is to give men and women a sense of God and his presence. Have you had that in your heart before? You come in here gloomy and you leave leave here glad. You've been changed by the word of God because God came near to you. Notice next that in verses 2-5, through five, three times John says this word, proclaim. Verse 2, The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us." And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you. That God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. See how important Christian preaching is for fellowship with God. It actually is A very important thing, that you come under the word of God each week, dare I say, each day. Do you fellowship with God, friend? Have you trusted in the Christ we preach and the scriptures teach? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So don't underestimate the power of sitting under the preached word. Here we see that though these recipients of the letter didn't physically see Jesus as John did, like John, they had fellowship with the Heavenly Father and His beloved Son, Jesus Christ. They had access. They had a relationship with God. And it came through the proclamation of Jesus Christ. And so do we by faith. That caused John to write with great joy. He was glad to affirm that they had fellowship with God. Now, in the first four verses, we've seen the relational dimension to fellowship with God, right? It's a relationship with the Heavenly Father and His beloved Son, Jesus Christ. But now in verse 5, we're introduced to an ethical, moral dimension to our fellowship with God. We've already seen that in this letter, John tells us that God is love, right? We, We looked at that it's in chapter 4. But here we are introduced to another character quality of God. Here we read, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Here we're introduced to a major theme in Christianity the holiness of God. John is presenting God to us in this letter as the God who is light and the God who is love, the holy God. Is a God of holy love. Now, why does this matter when we're talking about fellowship with God? Because maintaining fellowship with God means living out our relationship with Him in the light of His presence, which means we are to be holy as He is holy. As we'll see next, genuine Christians experience fellowship with God by living in the light. Look at verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Cornelius Van Til was a theologian and apologist, and he said something quite remarkable many years ago. He said, God is man's environment. Let that sink in for a second. God is man's environment. Every one of us is living in the presence of the three-person God all the time, even right now. His personal presence is the environment we live in all day and every day. In other words, there is no such thing as a private thought, a private conversation, or a private room. Every thought, secret, and intention of our heart is being inspected and scrutinized by the ever-present God who is with us. But oftentimes we're not conscious of this, are we? Many times even as Christians go bl- even as Christians, we go blind and blank to God and carry on as if we're on or as if he's on holidays. He's not here. He's not going to see. He's not going to know. What he doesn't know won't hurt him. Lies. Yet what marks true Christians is that their life is consistent with their profession. And a great test to see whether you're a genuine Christian is to find out whether or not you live up to what you profess. See, one of our great problems is that in churches and in our lives, we don't live up to what we profess, right? So, let's get some testing questions here. So you say you have fellowship with God, right? You say you want fellowship with God. You say you have a relationship with Him. But do you lie or practice the truth? When you think nobody's watching do you chase after forbidden fruit? John's words here cut through the muddied waters of our hypocrisy, don't they? There are two ways to live according to these verses. Either you're living in the darkness or you're living in the light of God's presence. True believers walk in the light. Hypocrites say one thing and do another. Your life... Your so-called private life, which is not private, you're living in God's environment, your life will either back up or contradict your talk. Talk is cheap, friends. But what happens when true Christians drift into the darkness? I mean, genuine Christians do sin, right? (laughs) Yes, they do. And I'd be a liar if I said they didn't, because of where our passage takes us. But true Christians do sin, and when we do sin, we head in a different direction than those who aren't true. The human heart wants to, by nature, drift away from God when it's caught in sin. But those of us who live by faith love fellowship with God, and therefore when we are in sin, we head in a different direction, or we ought to, I should say. We turn towards God with our sin, confessing and asking for cleansing through the blood of Christ. As verse 7 says, but if we walk in the light, there's genuineness there, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Oh, take it in, take it to heart. We who are Christians have a way out of darkness through the blood of Jesus. His blood, which symbolizes His life and His death for us, cleanses us from all sin. All sin? Yes, all sin. I love the lyrics. Uh, the hyrux. I love the lyrics of the hymn "Man of Sorrows." You guys, you're, you're a little uh, need to loosen up a little, okay? I love the lyrics of that song called "Man of Sorrows." Listen to this. Reinforcing the point of verse seven, bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Guilty, vile, and helpless we. Spotless Lamb of God was He. Full atonement, can it be? Hallelujah. What a Savior. Yes, full atonement in Christ. All sin, His blood, cleanses us from all sin. So let me take this moment to ask you, each one of you, Have you been cleansed by the blood of Christ? In other words, have you trusted in his life, his death, and his resurrection to be your pardon for sin? Have you come out of the darkness into his light? Come into the light, be cleansed in Jesus' name. Trust in Him alone to cleanse you. If you need to talk more about this, please don't be shy. Come up afterwards to me or Pastor Matt. We'd love to serve and help and speak to you. Next, this passage shows us that genuine Christians experience fellowship with God by honest confession of our sin. Look at verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Karate, Muay Thai, and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu are just a few of the top martial arts in the world. These martial arts specialize in training people to defend themselves. And though most of us here are likely not black belts in any of these martial arts, we're all experts at defending ourselves, aren't we? But the self-defense I'm referring to is of a different sort. I'm talking about this, the human knee-jerk reaction that we all have to dodge, duck, and defend ourselves when God says, you're in sin. When we hear God's words speak to us, God personally speak to us, and say we're in sin, it is our knee-jerk reaction to naturally try to dodge that and, and, and do some judo on God. By nature, we all defend ourselves against such accusations. But we, if we're honest, we only defend ourselves because we're found out and it's true. We're all sinners. We're all rebels caught in the act. But for us who believe in Christ, we don't need to ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit when he points out our sin to us. Instead, genuine Christians can put their guards down. We can agree with God's assessment of our sin and come clean to him again straight through the front door of honesty and confession. Speaking of this, uh, biblical counselor Todd Stride says this, We are creatures with divided hearts. On the one hand, we willfully run from responsibility and redemption, preferring to remain in the dark, holding on to our pride. On the other hand, we are broken in ways that keep us from fully knowing ourselves and understanding what we are doing. We deflect, avoid, and minimize one minute and are confused and bewildered the next. This is true of each one of us. The scriptures make it clear that we habitually dodge, deny, and avoid our failures, weakness, and wrongdoing. Ooh, gotcha. Got me. It's true. In verse 8, we see that when we deny sin, we actually do something against ourselves, we deceive ourselves our heart actually betrays us and tricks us, which proves that the truth is not in us. Then, if we look at verse 10, it shows that if we say we have not sinned, we actually are slandering God and calling Him a liar. We'll either agree with God that we're sinners in need of his mercy and forgiveness, or we're going to act like we've got the final word on Sid and treat God as the liar. Wow. If we respond with self-defense when God says we're in sin, it becomes evident that we're not being honest about our sin. However, the way genuine Christians deal with their sin is through straight-up confession. This will keep us in fellowship with God. Look at verse 9 and know that there's hope. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Take it in. Now this is a very familiar verse in the Christian community. A verse that many of you probably have highlighted in your Bible and I hope have memorized. This verse is popular for good reason. It packs a punch. It's precious. It starts with an action for us to take when we're guilty of sin. It says this. If we confess our sins, then we hear the pleasant sound of a mighty promise for us to trust. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Wow. Now, it would be easy to take this beautiful verse and say to you, now listen, friends. When you are overcome by major sins in your life, Apply this by faith. When people are identifying you by your sin, take this and claim it over your life. And that would not be wrong to say, but it is not all there is to say. Because sin is a far deeper problem than the presenting problems of the external major sins that get a lot of press, like lying, stealing, and murdering. Sin goes deeper, doesn't it? If we look at Scripture close, we see that sin is an evil power in each of our lives. And it's a power that we can't overcome alone. We can't conquer sin without God Himself by our side. See, sin is a bigger problem in your life and in my life than we realize. Because sin is present in us even when we're not aware of it. Yes, even for Christians. Listen to David Pallison as he highlights this. The average person thinks that for sin to count as sin, it must be consciously chosen. But if our desires deceive us, then for most of our sin, we are not even aware we are doing it. Conscious, high-handed sin is a part of sin, but the greater part of sin is blind willfulness when you do not even know what you are doing. Biblical metaphors for this are drunken, asleep, like an unreasoned animal, and madness in our hearts. Wow. So sin goes deeper than I'm aware of. And sin goes deeper than you're aware of. And I need you to point out my sin because I can't see it all, and you need me to point out your sin because you can't see it all. We need to confess not only the sin we're aware of, but also the sin we're unaware of. The motives of the heart. As John says in this book, sin is lawlessness. As Paul says... Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And as James says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Are you convinced that you're a sinner yet? Listen, given this biblical gauge, do you think you have sin to confess right now to God? You're cornered and so am I. Oh yeah, we have sinned to confess, my friends. We need to be hunkered down in 1 John 1, 9 a lot more than we are, don't we? Have all our motives, words, and actions proceeded from faith today? That's a gauge none of us are going to get over. Be honest. You too have sinned, my friend. Even if we're genuine Christians, sin is still part of our life more than we know and more than we'd like to acknowledge. So I hope you're honest enough to admit this with me this morning. Listen to how David Wells puts it. There is always a worm in the apple. Within the most seemingly selfless acts, there can be concealed motives that are unseemly or self-serving. We are all complex creatures. Along with our high, redeemed intentions, there linger low and base impulses. Our best thoughts, best actions, and best moments are never entirely free of sin's discoloration. We are, as Luther put it, simultaneously justified and yet sinners. And dear friends, if you're honest to admit this to God, this verse tells us that He is faithful or trustworthy and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can count on God to make good on His Word to forgive us. We can be cleansed from our contaminations through Christ. And as an aside, friend, there is no, you do not need to forgive yourself. There is an idea out there that we must forgive ourselves. This does not come from Scripture. Repenting God word is what Scripture talks about. It's God's forgiveness we need when we're walking in darkness. We need to trust His word when He says He will forgive us. Because fundamentally, the forgiveness we need most is that forgiveness vertically with God. Our sin has broken our relationship with God. And it is his forgiveness that rebels like us desperately need. But oh, there is forgiveness found in Christ. Have you found it? Dear Christian, make confession a part of your life. I need to make confession more a part of my life. Let's make it a part of our day. Let's make it a part of our marriage. Let's make it a part of our relationships. If you want to keep in fellowship with God, keep confessing your known and unknown sin to him. Because if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And now last but not least, our passage shows us that genuine Christians experience fellowship with God through the person and work of Christ. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. Verse 1 may sound confusing since we've just seen that genuine believers do sin and do confess their sin. But now John is saying, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. What is John doing here? What is he saying? I think what John is saying here is that he wrote these believers so that they'd conquer their sin. I think he's combating the idea that Christians have no responsibility to actually put the deeds of the flesh and sin to death by the power of the Spirit. I think what he's trying to say here is we aren't to mope around and wallow in our sin. And I get this from the rest of the verse. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. What John seems to be doing here is reminding his readers and reminding us that when we are fighting sin, we have the resources of Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is on our side. He is all for you killing sin. Only Jesus has the power to break the back of sin in our life. And when John uses the word advocate, he may have in mind a defense attorney. He stands up for us. This passage should give us great hope in our battle with sin. God hasn't left us to go it alone. He is present with us and Jesus Christ is on our side advocating for us. We have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Are you being dummied by your sin right now? How are you trying to fight it? Are you looking to Jesus? Have you grabbed hold by faith of the resources of your advocate? Nothing but the blood of Jesus can wash away our sin. Don't go it alone without Christ. Call him in. Now, let's finish this passage with the main course of this text. Verse 2. He is the propitiation for our sin, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. Now, if you want fellowship with God, you want to walk with Him and talk with Him and have a life Uh, 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 have a vital relationship with him if you want confidence and assurance that you are a Christian here is a text to check yourself on how do you feel about the cross of Christ how do you take in Christ's atonement what does it mean to you Christ is our propitiation, which means he is the only sacrifice for sin that satisfies the wrath of God. In other words, God will accept no other sacrifice for your sin, for my sin. You and I must count on the cross. It is enough, friends full atonement can it be? Hallelujah. What a Savior. Believing in Christ is the only way God will clear our guilt in his book and it's the only way to remove the guilt from our heart. Have you believed in Christ? What does the cross of Christ mean to you? Have you owned up for your sins by coming to the cross? Take it in. Take hold of him. God is love. God is light. God is holy love. And this God, the Father, has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Think for a second of the Father's love. Of the Savior's love. On the cross, the love from eternity past to the cross to you today for the world for you. Have you experienced His love firsthand? Has it melted your heart? As Richard Sibb said, "Be always under the sunshine of the gospel. Don't get tired." of the cross friend are you enjoying fellowship with god i want to close with a well known hymn by fanny crosby called near the cross and may it be your prayer and my prayer as we finish this morning jesus keep me near the cross there a precious fountain Free to all, a healing stream flows from Calvary's mountain. Near the cross, a trembling soul, love and mercy found me. There the bright and morning star sheds its beams around me. Near the cross, O Lamb of God, bring its scenes before me. Help me walk from day to day with its shadows o'er me. Near the cross I'll watch and wait, hoping, trusting ever, till I reach the golden strand just beyond the river. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever, till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river. Has your soul been raptured by the cross? Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We are sinful creatures defending ourselves against you and your word. And yet, Lord, we come to you and we say we confess our sin. We confess our rebellion comes from a heart that is hostile and hates you. And we need you. Cleanse us from our sin, Lord. Cleanse us from the terrible things we've done, thought, said, or heard. Cleanse us as we come again to consider the cross at this time of communion. In Jesus' name.